0: you stand with me this morning? We're going to do the Trinity Declaration together. Thank you for giving me an extra hour to preach today with Daylight Savings. Um, this is going to be fun. <laughs> Let's say the Trinity Declaration together. I am here on purpose because I have a purpose. I am invited, loved, chosen, and called. Because God has my full attention and cheerful yes, I am good soil for the good news. I will be faithful with my identity, song, gift, and testimony. My best days are right in front of me, and I have victory in my life because Jesus lives in me. Amen. You may be seated. One of uh, the Christian teachers, philosophers, and theologian theologians that's on my kind of Christian Mount Rushmore that lives in my mind is Thomas Aquinas. You may know him. He lived uh, around the, the 10 hundreds um, in the year uh, 1000. That, that century, he began to think and write and impact Christian thought. And he described three stages of spiritual life. You may have heard these before. Stage one, three stages of spiritual life. It's all about our love. It's all about our love. Stage one, he calls beginner love. This is where we all start out. It's like the love of a child, right? As a, Think about how an infant grows in, in our uh, human lifespan and aging. This is like the love of a child, self-centered, egocentric, and immature. A, child's lo- a child loves its parents, of course, but it loves itself most. We love God in this stage based on what we receive from him. Um, In this stage, we love God and just like we love our parents because they help us, they feed us, they hold us. We see Jesus and what he provides for us, and we respond in love. Think about Mary Magdalene. She loved Jesus after he, she had been found in prostitution and was being stoned. Jesus shows up, draws a line in the stand, says, Whoever sin without sin cast the first stone, and one by one people drop their stones and walk away. I uh, don't think it's easy for us to imagine if that was you and if that was me in that situation. We would love Jesus too. We would really appreciate what Christ had, did, had done for us in that situation. And then she uh, is told to go and sin no more. And so she goes and commits this specific sin no more. In this state of beginner love, we learn to weep over sin. And it's essential that we weep over sin in this beginning stage of love in the beginning of our spiritual life <clears throat> in stage two we see proficient love this is love that is progressing we mature in this stage it's like the love of a teenager seeing the truths of life the love um, the love in this stage is fickle it has not yet become that deep strong immovable love of an adult teens, you're feeling love all the time for things. My prayer is that your love would get stronger and stronger and stronger. So when you double your age and you're my age, you're able to say, man, I'm so much more faithful and I'm so I'm so much stronger in my love and the things that God's given me to love. And as we continue to uh, progress and mature, to see stronger and stronger, more consistent love throughout our life. Um, one day uh, in this Proficient state of love as we're developing. Um, one day, this teen-type love might be heartbroken for Rosaline, and then the next day, lovesick for Juliet. You've read Shakespeare; I've read Shakespeare. This is uh, this love can be a roller coaster, but it is progressing. One begins to see the things that their mother and father has done to love them and they are moved to be more grateful. They understand the difficulties and the the sacrifices that their parents have made and they seek to imitate some of that selflessness. Wow, my mom and dad did this, they did that, this is what they go through to provide and care. I wanna do a little bit of that. I wanna be like that. And in proficient love, we seek to practice and embody Christ's virtues. We're not just weeping over sin, but we're seeking to exercise the goodness of God and bear his fruit. We read about that last Sunday, and we heard about it from five fantastic preachers up here about developing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We're doing that in proficient love. Amen. In stage three, we see perfect love, love that has been purified into maturity. It is unconditional. It doesn't say, I will love you if... It says, I will love you always. It, it's the kind of love that loves its enemies, that suffers with joy. When the most unloving things happen to us and happen around us, love comes out of us. This is perfected love. It's matured love. None of us are totally in, in this stage. Maybe we dip our a toe, or maybe we dip five or six toes into this pool, but this is the love that God is bringing about in us and will continue to bring us into until he's brought this good work into completion. A phrase, uh, or, uh, this type of love is tempered in us. It's developed in us we are matured into this love by bearing the cross. Your love doesn't just come out unfailing. You grow into that. You are tempered into that type of love by bearing your cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. A phrase we tag onto this type of enduring, stretching, giving everything you got no matter what it takes, no matter what the cost is, that type of passionate love we call sacrificial love sacrificial love. Sacrifice matures us, perfects our love. It develops our love. And write this message title in your notes today. The Wonder of the World. Sacrificial love is the wonder of the world. As we bear our cross, the reason it does not crush us is because of the love of God, because we love him so much. If we fall out of love with God, the cross becomes unbearable. We are only really prepared to suffer for something that we love. Childbirth. We'll go through that childbirth for that baby. Sleepless nights. We'll go through those sleepless nights because we care for these children, We will protect and lay down our lives for our families, do anything to protect them. In Matthew 10, 38, Jesus tells us how he expects us to emulate and reflect this type of love. As we walk out our Christian journey, as we walk through our spiritual life, he doesn't want us to stagnate, but he wants us to go from beginner to proficient to perfect love, and this is what he says. He says, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Here's a a tough statement. This is a quote from the imitation of God. Whoever is not prepared to endure anything and stand firmly by the will of the beloved is not worthy to be called a lover. A lover must willingly accept every hardship and bitterness for the sake of the beloved and must never desert him because of adversity. One sign that we are that our love is growing, that we're growing in Christ, that our spiritual walk is getting stronger. One sign that our love is growing is that our giving becomes sacrificial. Love is powerful. The power of love is unlike any power on the face of the earth. Unlike any power that you could experience, the power of love impacts us more greatly. But it costs us. Love is painful. Do we really want that kind of love? Because it does not come easily. The more we love, the more we must suffer. Jesus loved much, so he suffered much. When we hear sacrificial love, I I don't think any of us say, oh, I think we say, yikes. Sacrificial love demands of us. But pain is good for us. No pain, no gain. If we're growing in love, we're growing in the taste of suffering. We experience it. This is the sacrificial love of God, Ephesians 5.2. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering in sacrifice to God. You catch that? Christ loved us, but he gave himself up out of his love for God, out of his love for the Father, Well, he loved us so much that he died for us. Yes, he did, but he gave himself up because God was worthy of it. God was worthy of God the Son uniting his will with God the Father. Do you remember Jesus' garden agony? Do you remember what he said? He said, Father, all things are possible for you. All things are possible. So God, if you could, Would you take this cup from me? Would you take this cup from me? Nevertheless, your will, not my will, be done. It's been said that love is a union of the wills. It's when we submit our will to God's will, when we carry out his will for his sake. Jesus went to that cross because he loved the Father, not my will, but your will be done. This is the sacrificial love of God, Romans eight thirty two. 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, he, will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? The father gave the son because of his love for us. It, it's a beautiful thing, not only when someone is generous, but when someone is generous with what is most precious to them. Not only, yeah, I have some extra of that, you can have my extra. Sure, I don't really need that, you can have it. But when somebody gives you the thing that is so prized in their heart, when someone's generous with what is precious, Ephesians 5.25 calls us into God's sacrificial love. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Whenever we read about this love of God, it's sacrificial, it's self-giving. I wanna illustrate This type of sacrifice for you today as we talk about the wonder of the world, the sacrificial love of God, by telling you the story of one of the seven wonders of the industrial world, the Bell Rock Lighthouse. Now, If you know anything uh, about architecture and engineering, you might be familiar with these seven wonders of the industrial world, the Hoover Dam, the Brooklyn Bridge, the Panama Canal, but you might not know this lesser known one called the Bell Rock Lighthouse. The Bell Rock Lighthouse is just off the coast of Scotland in the North Sea. It's uh, it's right in the way of the shipping lane into Edinburgh and Aberdeen, uh, the the largest shipping port in Scotland. And if you know anything about uh, oceans and seas, this is one of the most dangerous seas in the world, with some of the most violent storms. Um, you see here the the most. Dangerous seas in the world: the South China Sea and then the North Sea. Some people say the North Sea is number two most dangerous place to be on a boat. Um, This uh, this area is dark uh, was was very dark hundreds of years ago. It was an unlit coastline with rock reefs, sandbars, etc. Shipwrecks were a daily occurrence. A daily occurrence all along the north, the coasts of the North Sea. Less than 50% of sailors survived their career at sea in the 17 and 1800s. One of the most treacherous stretches of coast in the world lies right there off of Edinburgh in Dundee, um, off the coast of Scotland, and it's 11 miles out. There's this sandstone reef called Inch Cape. It's not huge, um, it's not huge, but it's just positioned right in a direct access route into this harbor. And what's so dangerous about it is the rocks lie right below the surface of the water. And sandstone is a type of rock that gets eroded by water over time and becomes jagged like teeth, like daggers. And what, what would happen is by the time you see the rock, you're already in the mouth, this dangerous mouth in the hull of your boat would just get ripped up and broken up. Um, This, uh, Because this was a busy harbor combined with a violent sea and a sharp reef made this area the shipwreck capital of the world. Some monks discovered uh, that six, six months out of the year, when it was not storm season, that for four hours a day during low tide, one portion of these rocks was exposed. They were so distraught over the loss of lives that uh, they took a collection and made a bronze bell, and they took out a bunch of boats, and they attached a sturdy gantry down to the rocks, a a thing that a, a bell swings from, and they attached this big bronze bell so that at least, at least, when sailors got near this rock, they could hear it and know, okay, We need to get away from these rocks. Danger is upon us. Many disasters would be averted, and more importantly, lives would be saved. And Inch Cape was soon to become known far and wide as the Bell Rock. When visibility was reduced to nothing, when heavy swells came upon boats and they were being moved around, they could hear that bell ringing, but I'm sorry to tell you, that that bell did not even make it through one winter storm season and it was lost to the waves the bell rock continued to be a problem in 1799 alone 70 ships wrecked on the bell rock and every life on board was lost on these ships in one year 70 ships wrecked in 1800 Distraught over the loss of life, a 30-year-old young architect, Robert Stevenson, came up with a plan for a 115-foot-tall offshore sea-washed lighthouse. Only one lighthouse had ever been built offshore in the history of the world, and it was only 70 feet tall in much calmer seas in the English Channel, the Eddystone Lighthouse. His, his idea was to build a 115 115- Foot tall, massive lighthouse that had a wide, curved base like an oak tree and a narrow trunk that could withstand the crashing of the waves. He thought it would take forty-two thousand pounds to make two thousand five hundred heavy stones, position them like a jigsaw puzzle, build it up, and um, and it would take four years to build it. The architects on the lighthouse board called him a fool rejected his plan and laughed him out of the room. Until four years later, the 64-gun HMS York with 500 sailors on board crashes on the Bell Rock in 1804 and every life is lost. A great ship, ship of the British Navy. They call Stevenson back and they say, with some modifications and some more engineers on the project, we'd like to approve your project. He set to begin in 1807, he recruited 60 men and he had a rigorous interview process. He was interviewing blacksmiths and masons as well as sailors and, um, and he said, this will be the most difficult lighthouse ever built. We will lose lives in order to save many lives. So we, you must re- meet these three requirements to be hired. Number one, you have to be a Christian. Knowing that lives would be lost Stevenson himself was a believer and he said, I don't wanna hire anybody who I don't know where their soul is going. You have to be a Christian. Number two, you have to be adventurous. You have to be willing to leave your home for months at a time, maybe even years at a time to go and accomplish this great task and be a part of this adventure. And number three, not only do you need to be adventurous, able to live at sea, to be a Christian person, but you need to be fearless. He was looking for Gideon's 300 men. He was looking for people who would not give up when the storms came, when uh, the darkest nights they had ever seen came against them. So he would ask them multiple times during the interview, are you afraid? Okay, well, can you do this? Can you, but are you afraid? And he found 60 men that were fearless. They got paid one pound a week. They were from 16 years old to 60 years old. They prayed before they began work, and when they finished work each day, they were all committed to one mission, to build a life house to save many lives. Let's talk about their devotion. The first year of the four, they used pickaxes to dig deep foundations. They sharpened their tools nonstop. They had to build fires on top of this rock for four hours a day. They had a lot to prepare each day when they arrived on the rock. And over, over the course of the first year, they dug down and, and they drilled in so that they were able to attach 12 steel beams going up 30 feet into the air. These steel beams would serve as an iron tripod that they could put a little beacon house on so that the men could live above the rock. You see, each day during low tide, the rock was exposed But after low tide, the rock would be submerged with up to 16 feet of water. So they were living on a ship close to the rock and each day they would sail out, but they wanted to live on site so that they could get the work done faster. The second year, after the winter months, they came back and no one thought those 12 beams would still be standing. But to their surprise, everyone was shocked. The beams were still there and they built the beacon house. Barracks for the workers on these beams, like stilts, so that they could uh, be ready for low tide each day. Totally alone when the water consumed the rock, and they were up in this little three story house, totally alone in the middle of the ocean. They continued building 11 miles out at sea, and after the second difficult year, they had only laid three courses of stone, two feet tall each the lighthouse was six feet tall. They're at the halfway point, but the lighthouse is only six feet tall. The lighthouse board threatens to cut off all their funding. Everyone is negative. No one believes it could be done. They begin to call Robert Stevenson a fool in the papers each day. But with great sacrifice, they had built it six feet tall. One of the deaths that year was the youngest on the crew, the 16-year-old Word went to his family on the Scottish shores, and the men of the crew were surprised that on the next supply ship, his 14-year-old brother came out to take his place. The third year, they built it from six feet to 80 feet tall, but with great sacrifice. One day, the pulley system, lifting the heavy rocks, breaks, and a beam falls crushing the legs of Michael Wishart, one of the engineers. He was so devoted to this mission to save many lives through the lighthouse that as he's laying there in Robert Stevenson's arms with his legs crushed, realizing he will never do any heavy physical labor again, he begs him. He says, please, can I be the first lighthouse keeper? The fourth year, they build the final courses, They get this lighthouse 115 feet tall, but with great sacrifice. Back on shore, Stevenson's twins and youngest daughter die of whooping cough. Finally, they light the 24 lanterns with the newest technology of parabolic reflectors that magnified and focused a single beam of light into the brightest light in the world at that time. The brightest light the world had ever seen before. In one of the most dangerous and darkest places on the earth. 213 years later, the Bell Rock Lighthouse still stands as the world's oldest active sea-washed lighthouse and the Bell Rock claims no more lives. It was an amazing accomplishment that no one thought was possible. It still stands and still shines today. I want to talk to you about three aspects of sacrifice. We looked at the sacrificial love of God. We heard this inspiring, incredible story about the sacrifice of these men to build a lighthouse. And I want us to understand that the light has already come into the world. The light has already come into the world. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, the light came into the world. But there are places where people are still perishing, where people are still yet sinners. Dark places where a lighthouse needs to be built so that the light can shine there. God is calling us to sacrifice. First thought is that sacrifice doesn't earn grace, it extends grace there are wrong sacrifices and there's a wrong way to sacrifice. Jesus hit this in the gospels and Paul hit it as well. I just want to connect this with us today. We can make sacrifices in an unloving way, which is really not of God. It's not motivated by love, but rather by obligations, coerced by guilt or pursuing self-righteousness or for personal gain. It's not about God's love for people. It's about our needs in our 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 own core wounds and in our own self-righteousness and selfish ambition, people were giving for a works-based right standing with God, even in Jesus' time, not just in our time, not out of a love for God and his people. In Matthew 9, 13, he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. We know Jesus' love is sacrificial and he wants us to emulate sacrifice, but he wants us to sacrifice out of his great compassionate charity and merciful love for other people to bring the kingdom of God to the doors of others' hearts. And when people are giving out of works, he wants them to understand he doesn't desire your, uh, your self-righteous sacrifices to get you in right standing with God. He desires a merciful heart that matches his. First Corinthians 13, three says, if I give all I possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardship that I might boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. You see, here's a problem. Sometimes we feel insufficient, inadequate, incomplete, Insecure, and we start doing things to feel like we're enough. We talked about this in the Brotherhood Growth Group on Wednesday night, and it was awesome. When we start working out of a different motivation than love, we start uh, working out of a different bucket than love for God, it sets us off mission. It shifts us and it doesn't matter what we do, doesn't matter what we give, doesn't matter how much we sacrifice, we gain nothing because we're investing it into a self-righteous account when we want to invest our lives into an eternal account into our relationship with God. We want to work out of mercy. We want to work extending his grace, not earning it, but extending it. The things we do for the Lord are never forgotten, not in this age or the age to come. God keeps a record of every faithful prayer we pray. He keeps a record of rights. He keeps a, a, a record out of everything we give, all that we do for him to love and serve him. Some of us get so overwhelmed with falling short. We, we're in that bucket every day. We feel insecure, inadequate, incomplete every day. We don't have a moment without that sensation in our hearts. If that's you, I, I want you to clearly see God's love for you today to receive his grace. We have to receive his grace to extend it. Sometimes we're so overwhelmed with falling short, we don't even have an identity in God's love anymore. Your identity just becomes who you aren't. It's not who you are, it's who you aren't. I'm not rich enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not funny enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not cool enough, I'm not whatever enough. It's an anti-identity. It's not an identity at all. But when we receive the love of God, it makes us into more than enough. More than enough. We reciprocate God's love then, and we give it right back to him. We lay all those shortcomings on the altar, and we become a living sacrifice. We want everyone to know the perfect love of God we're receiving. We step out of that identity of falling short, of incomplete, inadequate, insecure, insufficient, never being enough. We step out of that, and we step into the more than enough abundant love of God. And when we do that, we want everyone to know his perfect love. So we become A living sacrifice, making sacrifices. I am a sacrifice and I'm doing sacrifice. It's who I am and it's what I do. Number two, sacrifice is a cheerful and defiant privilege. The word sacrifice, Thusia, comes from Thuo, kill, slaughter, or butcher. Something has to die, it's defiant, Because the things that in the natural, in the flesh, we want to fuel and feed in the things we want to live, God often calls us to lay aside for the sake of his glory. That's why Jesus did it, to bring many sons to glory. He laid down his life. So he scorned the shame of the cross. The thing that was there to mock and insult and hurt him, he turned it into a weapon. sacrifice is a cheerful and defiant privilege because it is purposeful. Because I give give this sacrifice, something will die. And because I give this sacrifice, something greater will live. That's what we do when we sacrifice. If I put something to death, maybe it's my free time, my weekends, my pride, my pleasures, my next eggs, my comforts, my extras, my excesses, if I let this die, Something greater will live. That's what sacrifice is all about. So we do it cheerfully. Listen to the words of Jonah in the belly of the fish. This is what he said. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. With shouts of grateful praise. So we give cheerfully. We give joyfully. It it is a cheerful and defiant privilege. Isn't it difficult? Isn't sacrifice painful? Isn't it suffering? When you're loving your enemies, isn't that an awful experience emotionally? We do it with joy because we see the kingdom of God. We see the perfect love of God that we have received and see it extending to others. We can do it with, with what did Jonah call it? Jonah called it Jonah called it uh, with grateful praise. And that's what we do. David Livingston was often asked about this as he gave his life to bring the gospel to many towns across the continent of Africa. Um, we felt a little bit that way when we were putting Rowana Gomdi on Google Maps together uh, back in September, like, hey, this is a place, let's, uh, let's let Google know about it. As David Livingston was moving across Africa town to town, people would often ask him about the sacrifices he made. And he said, people ask me about the sacrifice, I, I have made spending my life in Africa, but it is, in fact, no sacrifice, it is a privilege. We reframe our sacrifice when we see the purpose of what God is accomplishing. It's a combination of holding loosely and loving dearly, like the widow with her might. Did the widow not care about what she had? No, it was all she had. She loved God for giving her this might. She, she knew how much she needed that might, but she held it loosely because she held her love for God so strongly. Say, God, I wanna give this to you. I'll hold the things you've given me to steward loosely. Do I love them? Do I take responsibility for them? Do I care about them? Absolutely, absolutely. But I love you so much more that I will freely give you anything. Sacrifice is the bridge between the needs and the answer. God has consecrated a new creation in a broken universe. His cross makes holy ground. Our sacrifice just carries his cross to people who need it. Our cross sees unholy ground, and we see this new covenant faith that Christ has given us, this gospel of the good news, and we carry it to unholy ground, and we lift up the cross. We lift up Jesus. All we're doing is taking the consecration God has already done and carrying it around to different places. And he told us to do it locally. He told us to do it nationally. He told us to do it globally till the ends of the earth to the very end of the age. My son is learning the Gettysburg Address with his second grade class in song form. So it's all that plays in my house it's just on repeat, four score and seven years ago, and, um, and as I've been listening to this every day, there is a portion of it that has stood out to me in a new way. When Lincoln said, we have come to dedicate a portion of this field, but in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate. We cannot consecrate. We cannot hallow this ground. The brave men living and dead who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. It's when we see what Jesus has already done The sacrificial love of God that we don't even, we're not even worthy to be like connected to and to be talked about in the same breath, but just to be able to carry His sacrificial love. And and if it involves our sacrifice, so be it, but to carry it everywhere, to make Him known. That's what consecrates, what hallows, what honors Jesus in our world. I don't want Christ's sacrifice to be in vain for any person on this planet, not any person in Baltimore or across the globe. Like these 60 men who built the Bell Rock Lifehouse, our sacrifice connects the light to the darkness. And here's sacrifice math for you today. And this is where I'm going to turn this message into a pep talk for you right now because some of you are in that insufficient, inadequate bucket, incomplete bucket that don't think your contributions are meaningful in the kingdom of God, that don't see yourself as a world changer or as a a relationship changer, as a community changer. You don't see yourself in that way that, that God has empowered you and gifted you and wants to use you and his eyes are on you and his power is in you. So catch this, number one, why do we sacrifice? Just like Jesus said. Just like Jesus said, God is deserving of it. A fragrant offering unto unto the Father, Jesus gave his life. That's why we give of ourselves, because God deserves it. It's first and foremost, an offering unto the Lord. God deserves it. People are waiting on it. This is tangible, tangible practical. We can all understand this. There's people who do not know Jesus, and there are so many who have not heard the name of Jesus. And they are waiting on this gospel to circle the globe, to come into their context so that they can understand it. And here's where it connects to us. God's deserving of it. People are waiting on it. We are capable of it. We are capable of it. We can do this. You can do this. You have something to give. You have something to sacrifice. We began this 2023 year by saying that right now counts forever, that right now is the right time. Romans 5 6. going to skip to Romans 5, 6. It says this. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. There are people who are powerless. That makes this the right time. Just at the right time, while we were powerless. Right now is the right time for the right sacrifice, because there are those who are still powerless, that haven't received this perfect love of God. We are living in a spiritual Black Friday. You know what Black Friday is in a few weeks, we'll hit stores and stay out late if you do that. Cyber Monday, whatever you participate in. It's a time where the things that you want cost less than usual. It's this little window of the year where you'll adjust your schedule, you'll live differently, you'll lose sleep, you'll fight fight crowds, you'll go to stores that you usually don't go to, you'll do whatever you have to do to get a deal that's a bargain to give you something that you really want. If we could just open up our eternal minds, If we could just have a miracle happen in our minds today and in our hearts to understand that right now your investment can bring salvation to someone's doorstep and and more now than ever before, it's so possible and it doesn't even cost that much. People in Spain and in India and Burkina Faso are gonna receive the gospel because of what our church does in the next two months. And when you show up on November 19th, ready to be somebody else's miracle, ready to bring your best offering, you're gonna exercise some of that sacrificial love. And as we sacrifice, as we carry our cross each day, we see our love changing. We see God tempering us, progressing us, maturing us, developing our love. And all we say is God, not my will, but your will be done. Just like Jesus said in his garden agony, God, not my will, but your will be done. Would you stand with me today? Excited for the holiday season here at Trinity because it's gonna be a, a season of crazy love, extravagant love, sacrifice that confounds the world, the wonder of the world. A time for us to put into practice sacrificial love in big ways. Here's what 2 Corinthians 9:10 says. I'm gonna close with this. It says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Now catch this. God provides us bread for food. He gives us nourishment and provision. He gives you today what you need to eat. He puts it in your hands. But do you see what he also gives us? He gives us seed. He says, hey, I'm gonna give you everything you need. It's fresh, it's your daily bread, it's warm, it's crispy, it's delicious. But I'm also gonna give you seed and I'm gonna give you potential to bless other people. I'm gonna give you seed of potential so that you can put it to work, work the ground and grow something that is sacrificial and generous for the world. I love, I love that God doesn't just give us some Christmas gifts. He also gives us the materials we need, the investment we need, the gifts and the resources we need to give gifts to others. Not just bread for food, but seed to the sower. You're somebody who Jesus has called worthy of receiving his gifts. You're also some, someone Jesus has called worthy of partnering Worthy worthy of partnering to grow and develop gifts for others. I pray that we would be faithful with both today. The bread God gives us and the seed God gives us. The same God that gives us those fully baked blessings also gives us a bag of potential to go grow some spiritual blessings for others. We need to put in the work. We need to live sacrificially. God, I'm so thankful today. Just overwhelmed, Father God, by your grace, by your perfect love. It sets us free. It it bounds in our hearts, God. It's always dancing. It's always shouting out, Lord. It's always stirring us up into more and more blessings, more and more revelation of who you are. God, if there's somebody in this place today that has not experienced your perfect love, Lord, that has maybe touched it or tasted it, but hasn't surrendered to it, hasn't become lost in it. God, maybe they've known it in the past, but they've grown cold and so distant from your love. God, with open arms today, I pray that they would see you a long way off waiting for them, God, to come be embraced in your love today. Lord, to receive forgiveness of sin, to receive power to live a new life, to be made a new creation, to be resurrected, by your Holy Spirit, God, anyone in this room right now that puts their faith in you, I know you are faithful and just to forgive their sins that they surrender, Lord, and to bring about righteousness in their souls that they could live with you forever and ever and ever. Jesus, do it right now, God, with every submitted heart, Lord, with every uh, confessed sin in the room and devoted life. Flood them with new life today. Fill them with your Holy Spirit, and God, turn them into into a new creation to walk with you. And Jesus, I pray likewise today for those who are touched with the call to live sacrificially, not just to weep over sin, not just to emulate your virtues and extend uh, uh, the extend the character of Christ in the world, but also, God, to have a perfect love that loves enemies, that suffers with joy, that's ready to go to great lengths, Father God, at at own personal expense to honor you and lift your name high. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit... Would, would exponentially multiply the investments and efforts of your church in this season that we could do something that thrills our souls, that's bigger than ourselves, that we would be uh, cheerful givers about through these Christmas projects. Lord, we love you and we give you our worship today. We give you our hope today and we lift you high. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Church, we're gonna worship together to close out this service.